1: Welcome listeners to The Extra Inch, my name's Windy and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend Bardy, hello Bardy, hello Windy, and our tactics guy and a man who is sporting a man bun in tribute to Gareth Bale, it's Nathan A. Clark, hello Nathan. <laughs> Caught in 4k. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are, are you are you covering a ball patch as well, Nathan? Yeah, of course, of course. I I heard
2: <laughs> I heard psychic f- for the first time there. I'm 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 coming round to to people mishearing psychic in the oh, really? in the introduction. I heard it that time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Normally, like I had started like really pronouncing the D in sidekick. <laughs> Uh, Because I became very self-aware. But um, yes, I need to start doing that again, don't I?
2: Give Bardi the hard D at the beginning
1: of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done. Nicely done. Um, There's so so much to talk about. I'm I'm really excited. I'm in a good
3: place today. Uh, Starting with (laughs) our newsletter, Bardi. Yeah, before we get to that, I, I was pondering going back before we started recording today and listening to the podcast we did after we beat, last time we beat Sheffield United, and just seeing how things were then and then just seeing how we compare it to your comments now we've beaten Sheffield United again and just to see if there's anything that correlates between the two that I got very excited after we beat Sheffield United I think you two were quite excited after we beat Sheffield United whereas this time I'm a bit, I'm a bit like, but oh, we just beat Sheffield United but I guess we'll get into that. Anyway, newsletter plug before I start putting a big downer on things. Yeah the newsletter went out yesterday. Um I think it was the most interesting one we've done so far because um as I said in the intro I had this penciled in as the you know the big trophy the big trophy month where we could celebrate <laughs> our manager bringing home a cup but that obviously didn't happen and instead we ended up killing another manager and then I just thought about all the managers in the past that Tottenham have buried and how now with time having passed, do we see their reigns? Was there something in what they did while they were in charge of the club that is, uh, got a redeeming feature because no one likes to speak ill with the dead. So, um, was there anything in Andre Villas Boas, Christian Gross, Harry Redknapp's time with the club that deserves memory that at the, that when they were fired, we kind of forgot about, but now, with time having passed, perhaps there was something interested in what they did and um, how they served the club. So I, I really found it interesting and I hope the I hope the subscribers did. A Nice one, yeah. I mean, it was it's excellent
1: stuff as ever. Three guest writers, actually four guest writers because we had a piece about Oliver Skip as well, which was very enjoyable. Um, three guest writers writing about former managers who have very different styles and uh, and approaches to their writing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they they meshed really nicely. I liked your piece too, Barty. It was all just yeah, lovely stuff. Well done. Thank you, boss. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when you show me the respect I deserve. <laughs> um, and Nathan, you've been busy as well. <laughs> yeah, I've been
2: really, <laughs> really, really busy on on highly, highly demanded con- uh, content. Um, an hour-long <clears throat> investigative documentary on a manager who we recently turned down. Um, <laughs> i don't know i i, I i've, I've def- defended myself twice now on the q and april on friday on that on the beginning of the video but um i don't think you know the possibility of him ever coming to spurs is is dead in the water um i think that i think that it's um you know he's still a good manager who's still out there um at a a lower level than the position of our club. So if we come back to it in a few weeks, or if we come back to it in a few years, um, I still think that that, that video will have some value. So, um, you know, <laughs> it's out there. It's done. It, to be honest, it's probably
1: like my best work. <laughs> oh, bless you, mate. Bless you. So, so, so for anyone who's wondering, this is Eric Ten Hag that you've, um, yeah. you've researched and, and created a video about, and, uh, I've not watched it yet. I'm looking forward to it very much. um, but yeah, I mean, from from my reading and from everything I'd, I'd, I'd watched about him over the past week, he, he looked really good. There was lots to admire, lots to like. But it sounds as though Spurs have walked away, potentially, from, from this. And as a result, Ajax have triggered a one-year extension, which was written to his previous contract. But as you say, that doesn't mean it's necessarily the end. Or Spurs have walked away because...
2: He, we knew that IX were going to trigger an extension and, and change the compensation. I think that that's quite a, a plausible explanation <sighs> of events.
1: Yeah, I mean it is. It is. Maybe IX were asking for an unreasonable amount of money, and um, Levy thinks he can get a better deal elsewhere. Yeah, that figures too. Um, so let's get into it. Let's get into the Sheffield United match. I'm I'm excited. I mean, it's silly to get carried away because it's Sheffield United. They are absolute trash. One of the worst teams <laughs> the Premier League seen in, certainly in recent years. Uh but it's also fun to get carried away. Yeah. So so let's let's balance the two things. The team selection was really interesting and exciting from my perspective because Delhi was back in the team. Um his first start in like six weeks, I think he last started against Dinero Zagreb. And his first league start in, in God knows how long I haven't actually checked that, but I imagine a lot longer. Um Gareth Bale was also back in the team. Ndombele was not though, and that is that is slightly concerning. Uh Bardi, were you surprised that uh that Delhi was in but Ndombele was on the bench?
3: Um, I'm not surprised that Delhi got a start. I think I think it's only kind of right we have a look at him and Sheffield United is a very low risk opposition, so it's good to give him a go. And I kinda of like Mason's words about Delhi having trained well all week and putting in a good effort, so he kinda of put to bed the kind of rumour that Delhi doesn't do anything in the training ground, he just runs around talking about baked beans and stuff. <laughs> so it's good to, it was good to have him back. The Ndombele thing it, it continues to be a concern, but I mean he obviously sees that um that doesn't he doesn't work as a double pivot with Schürrleberg and he prefers to sell so alongside him and if that's what he prefers then I guess that's what we're going to keep seeing. It is a bit of a concern that I said last week that this is the third manager we've had that leaves him out and continues to sacrifice him. Um I don't know what his future will be at Tottenham. Perhaps he'll end up being this fantastic player. I'm not. I'm not denying Endombele is a brilliant player, but perhaps, perhaps he's just not suited for for England and the Premier League. And it's happened to many, many good players that they just haven't settled here, and then they've gone to Spain or somewhere else and had a great career. But yeah, it does worry me a little bit that Endombele is kind of being um, frozen out at the moment.
1: Nathan, is there anything in um, the styles of the two players that would mean Lo is better suited to the approach Ryan Mason's taken so far at playing in the double pivot? Um, Maybe in a very sort of short-term view of like um,
2: back-to-basics, simplistic football, um, rather than Andomble, who is sort of so dynamic that he can throw. And I remember when he was first breaking into the team um, some time ago, that his sort of his dynamism his directness his sort of turn of 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 pace and direction could throw not just the opposition off which is the intention but also spurs players and the ball be pinged into their feet when they were like tracking back in a different direction um but i still think that his overall quality sort of um should shine through despite that um uh, maybe maybe him him missing out a couple of games um Early on, the Spurs established himself isn't, isn't, you know, a nightmare. But I think definitely going forward, I really want to see him. I mean, I'm not worried because obviously Mason isn't likely to be our manager next season. So it's not like we have to sort of start freaking out about things. It's just a little disappointing because everything is so good and everything is so right right now. Um, okay. We lost the city, but everyone loses the city. Um, we're playing good football. We're bringing in all of these previously ostracized players, um, but Ndombele is missing out. And there's an extent, obviously, to which, like, you can only play four of Bale, Lacelso, Delhi, Sun, uh, and Ndombele. But, like, Ndombele isn't just, like, the one coming off the bench. He's sort of, like, completely missing. So it's slightly, it's slightly disappointing, um, but it doesn't put a damper on the overall, or much of a dampener on the overall goodness that is, that is Ryan Mason's.
1: Tunnel before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think um, there's there's no chance that Ndombele is carrying a knock, and that we can excuse it in that way because Mason had every opportunity to clear that up post cup final when he, he, he didn't mention anything. Could you argue that, that that Mason is doing this because we've sort of seen enough of Ndombele, We know what Ndombele is. We know he's really good, and going into like finishing up the season and going into next season, he's just sort of. Giving us or giving the coaching staff, giving the club, giving the fans an opportunity to have a look at La Lo Celso in the pivot because Lo has not been around so much this season due to injury. Is, is there anything in that or is that? I don't think so. Is it, no. No.
2: There's a there's an Ali Gold article out this morning that sort of um, very softly implies that his performance against Southampton was perceived fairly negatively and so that's okay. why he's out of the team but i think uh, the, the the focus of that section of the article is that um everything's happy everything's great and dombele is keen to to prove himself and the mood is good and there's no hard feelings um, cool. so he's got several games to to work his way back into the t- team or at least you know rotation of things i'm not too worried yeah,
3: yeah. i i I, th- I think ryan Mason has nothing to lose but he has a hell of a lot to gain mm-hmm. if he comes out of this end of season run with say so he gets 100 percent league win record and I'm imagining that conversation he has with Sherwood but if he comes away with uh, with five wins um then all of a sudden he sets himself up as a possible manager for a another maybe championship club or perhaps even a lower level premier league club so I don't think he's I don't think I think Ryan Mason cares about the football club but I also think he cares about his career so he wouldn't be Given lacelso minutes, if it was like he's given Celso minutes to benefit himself and benefit Tottenham Hotspur, it's not to um, it's not to just literally give lacelso minutes so we can find out a bit more about him. He wants to win football matches, and what he sees at the moment is lacelso is a better option than Endon this I don't think there's any kind of future thinking in in dropping Endon
1: And let's not get it wrong, you know, lacelso is a very good, very good player who I, I personally believe is massively underrated by our fans currently. I, I think. Um, um, his upside is, is, is enormous. I'm excited about what he can do next year with a with a new manager who values his skill set a bit bit more. Um, I really like him in the middle. I always have. Um, we've we've spoken about him being versatile and being able to play from the right, but I much prefer him in the middle personally. I like him being on the ball more. Uh, I like the fact that he doesn't always like try and force a pass. He's very happy to just lay back to the centre backs. That's there's, there's not a problem for him. He doesn't like always have to go forward, where I think Ndombélé sometimes does try and force things a bit too much. And perhaps as Nathan sort of alluded to, perhaps that's one of the reasons um, that, that Mason's gone the sell so for the time being. Uh, but I mean. We've, we focused on the negative there, but there was a lot to be excited about in the team selection. Otherwise, um, Bale being back, obviously, I absolutely would have started Bale in the cup final. I understand why you perhaps want a more defensive winger if you go for that approach. But I just think Bale is someone who can score a goal from nothing. We don't have enough of those players. Uh, so I was very happy to see him back. And Delhi, I mean, yeah, I just looked while you were talking, Nathan. And actually, hmm. Delhi's last league start was the match before Dinamo against Fulham. So like yeah 6 7 weeks ago in in the league as well. Um But that's not the full picture is it. We've hardly seen Deli this not, year, you know. It's not the full picture in the slightest. I mean he's basically been excluded from the league squad for a full season in in the prime of his career. Uh he's he's 25 now. So it's a problem. It was a problem and and Levy obviously felt it was a problem didn't want to move Deli on because it was the wrong time to sell, his value was low. Yeah um but it's more than that you know delhi's a really bloody good footballer and just having him back i felt really excited i like his new hair too yeah, that too. helps <laughs> it really suits him he looks he just looks so like he just looks so upbeat and it's just nice to see him looking happy again yeah. um so let's let's get into it let's talk about the match and, and how you think it went and what i would say is that the first few minutes were a bit cautious so there, there wasn't like, a lot of thrust there. But what I saw in the first few minutes was lots of movement in the front line, which continued throughout the whole match. So you'd have Kane dropping in, dropping deep into pockets, as he always does. I mean, that's just classic carry Kane. Son making a lot more runs uh, than I've seen him make recently. And Bale as well, looking for movement in behind the defence. And then Delhi as he always has done, as he always will do, just drifting between players, drifting into into the hole, uh, drifting into midfield and creating overloads uh, before then bursting beyond the defence as well. And that was really encouraging. And, and that what that meant is, whilst we were playing cautiously at the start, when we changed it up and started playing a little bit more directly with a little bit more zip, the movement patterns were already established. Um, and we were able to sort of start to create... Not necessarily chances, because I didn't think our chance creation was great in the first half. But we were able to create patterns of play, which I, I just hadn't seen for months and months. And it felt really nice to see some attacking patterns, some rhythm, players getting touches. Yeah, I mean, I, I just felt good about the attacking performance. Uh, Nathan, let's start with you. What difference did Deli make, firstly, but also generally, what did you see?
2: I saw some football that was nice to watch. I, I agree it took a little while to warm up, but I thought the like st- pretty much straight from the off there was there were some nice combinations and there was some some possession with intent rather than just sort of passing it around the back um and yeah there were some nice movements it wasn't it wasn't hugely um uh, fruitful right from the beginning it took a little while to get going um when it did, it was really good, and I think that we sort of had to find ourselves and 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 um prove to ourselves our own capability, and we grew into it, grew into the confidence, and started getting things going. And and uh, and my goodness, how like much that means to me as a fan, you know? Nothing has made anything clearer than the last two months. The like, yeah, man, I will make absolutely no apology that i want to enjoy watching my football club because okay football is community and and sport and everything else but before really anything football is entertainment right football is what you're putting on the tv instead of getting invested in a show that writes itself into a corner and then you're disappointed now it ends so <laughs> um <laughs> if i'm putting I, I liked watching it i watched it i was able to watch it the whole time it was aesthetically pleasing and that that just matters it just does matter yeah. and I, I'm I don't want I will take no more um little side notes on on why that's only one aspect I really like watching my team play good football that's good to watch and that's what we got and it's such a, a relief it's such a joy I loved it
1: Barney how about you Gareth bale on absolutely top
3: form um albeit against muck. But, but he looks kind of irresistible. I mean, he was surgical with his finishing. The first one was brilliant. The second one, the second one I think was my favorite because it was only when you really saw it from the other angle how he finished it off. He, you know, Gareth Bale was a masterful player. Um, whether he should have started the League Cup final, I I don't know. I still don't know whether he has enough to to warrant a place in a team that needs to work across the pitch. But he he's he's, he's an incredible player, and he's gonna he's going to score goals, especially against especially against Muck. And I'm I'm with you guys. It's nice to see um Tottenham playing. I don't it's so easy for us to say playing with freedom and taking the handbrake off. These are cliches that we use, but it is really nice to see and of course it makes a game far more interesting to watch and ultimately football is about entertainment and it is more entertaining to watch Tottenham play like this. Um I think I think Aurier needs we need to chat about Aurier yeah. because Big he, Big he had Quite the game, and he was used more often than Reggion. we would We would purposely give the ball to aurier and he popped up with another two assists This guy must do amazing stats that we just ignored his yeah. last season he He had loads of them this year he's he's popping up with a few, so yeah, I still don't think he's a very good player, but in, you could see why managers keep turning to him because he does, he does have something. Um, unfortunately, he just is unable to, to harness it all the time. But yeah, he did, he that first pass for, for Bale's goal was, was, great. And then obviously the other one was a bit of a Tom Carroll assist, but still he's, he had, a, he had a good game and we do go after him when he's bad. That's true. So we we do deserve to praise him when he's good. He he was
1: very 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 good. The pass was was fantastic for mm. the first goal. Um, I actually thought his defending was really good as well. Not that they not that they asked a lot of him, but when they did ask things of him, he not only answered them, but he normally like came away carrying the ball out of defence, which is that's pretty impressive to be able to sort of defend and then turn it into an attack. Yeah, Aurier was was truly excellent uh, in in this game. I thought. Um, Buddy, you mentioned taking the handbrake off and Mm. playing with freedom. I'm going to go a step further than that. I don't think it was freedom or taking the handbrake off. I think it was just a totally different approach. I I, I think there was the same number of sort of restrictions, but they were just tweaked in such a significant way that we we weren't defending as, as our first priority we were attacking as a first priority we were pressing aggressively pressing in, in Sheffield United's um, in the middle third certainly and also in Sheffield United's third as a first priority so there were some sort of restrictions still mm. you know players had to be in certain areas but it was just flipped on its head and, and we we're doing it on the front foot and uh, it's so much more joyful as a fan to watch that you feel less concerned because the, the sort of the potential for an error happens in the opposition's half rather than in your box, um, and yeah, I mean, I just I really found it refreshing to be honest.
3: Yeah, I, I do. It, of course, it is refreshing. I don't think like Tottenham are fixed, and this this was the reason why we weren't playing great. But um, I'm happy to see. it. I do have concerns about Delhi, but then of course he hasn't played much football, and I'm I'm just worried about him in this kind of number ten role. I think right now he probably. I think he's better with his back to goal than Ndombele, which is perhaps why he's being played there at that moment, because um Mason doesn't want Hjojberg and Ndombele alongside each other anymore. And I think Delhi in that position works. I think he he works better than Lucas with his back to goal as well. Lucas is is pretty good when you wind him up and just let him run at things. So... I would, I would like to see this kind of Delhi project continue for the rest of the season. I want, I want to see him start every single game and then we can kind of judge from, from there. Cause I think at the moment we all know he's a good player, but we're still judging him on stuff that he did maybe two years ago. And I know there's mitigating circumstances, mitigating factors around that, but I want to see something from Delhi now, which Puts a statement out which from him, which proves to our next manager that he deserves to be a player that you can build a team around, and not just kind of myth of a player that we keep referencing from from many years ago that he, he he's no longer I, I want to come
1: back to this because we 've got several mm. questions on Delhi, and um it'd be good to do a, a bit of a deep dive. Um, but just to say, I really want to see Deli play with Ndombele. It's something we haven't hmm. seen a great deal of. And I think their skill sets will mesh beautifully. You know, Ndombele, who is able to like pick a pass really at, like, he's got exceptional vision for spotting a pass early. A bit like Christian Eriksen had. Ndombele's got that in spades and, and Deli, who's so good at finding space. That feels to me like a, a match made in heaven, so I'm really hoping we get to see a little bit of that before the season's out. Um, Nathan, anything else you want to add around the, the tactics in this game before we move on?
2: No, I, I, I
1: uh, oh,
2: since we launched the Patreon, people have been saying, can you do specific match analysis? Can you do specific match analysis? And I've kind of been leaving it unsaid but basically there wasn't that much to say a lot of the time with Mourinho and then we had our first game under Ryan Mason and I and we got Harry B on it was Harry B's idea but but we did a a match analysis with him and I similarly but from a more positive angle there isn't that much to say about the game under Ryan Mason so far We're, we're playing sort of um Day one proactive football, right? We're playing. Here are how you make a triangle, and remember, 100%. yeah, and and here's how to, to you know make sure you press the opposition early. And there isn't a great level of intricacy or detail in that. And yet, of course, um, it's Sheffield United, and they are they are really really bad. Uh, you mentioned the last time we played Sheffield United, and record- podcast we recorded after that. I very specifically remember downplaying the idea that it's just Sheffield United after that. So I get to cash in on that now. And, and say, well, if you go back to that game, like we beat them three one, right? And I, was that
1: the Ndombélé goal, yeah. the outrageous lob?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was that game?
2: There you go. So there were there were nice moments in that game, and we beat them three one. And I remember the the point of focus at the time is that we continued to attack the opposition. We continued to possess the ball throughout the full game, and we managed to do that against Sheffield United. But this is really a level above that, right? We're not just like demonstrating that we can do that we're not just saying here's us having the ball it was more expressive it was it was recognizing that yes it's just sheffield united and using that as an opportunity to be expressive and have fun and i have missed having fun a lot
1: it's a good point I, i i massively agree with the the point you're making about creating triangles especially through the midfields. Um, Delhi playing like a hybrid 8-10 really helps with that. He would often drop in and create the tip of a triangle or, or a rhombus if you want to go one step further, and uh, that really helped us progress the ball, and uh, uh, that was incredibly useful. Uh, uh, the Celso also really excellent at creating angles in midfield to move the ball forward. Um let's Let's dig into Delhi a bit because we we've been sitting on some Delhi questions for quite a while now, to be honest. We've been sitting on quite <laughs> a lot of questions generally because there's been so many talking points, and we've got like a, a backlog, but the Delhi stuff's interesting. So let me run through three questions, and then we'll just talk about them more generally. Um, Mark Lynch asked us to do a proper look at Delhi over the last few years. Personally, while we like to blame Mourinho, I think his performances and effectiveness had dropped well before he came in, at what point is his future looked at by the club. Uh, Jonah Shipley. Said, I know there's been a very warranted vocal frustration at how Delhi has been handled this season. The extra inch, within nearly leaving in January, and his somewhat public frictions with renew. I have tended to agree. However, I'm starting to think that he hasn't actually done enough to warrant a starting place in our squad. Um Nick Kerswell says. I was having a conversation with a United supporting mate of mine and he was comparing Delhi to Bruno in terms of their instinctive maverick playing styles. Both players will still misplace a lot of passes and have games where 90% of what they try to do doesn't quite come off, but they try and try to create so much they're still valuable game changers. Uh, The difference according to my mate is that Bruno has that feral edge to him, a proper wild streak and a relentless drive that rubs off on his teammates and can really aggravate opponents. I wondered. He wondered if Delhi maybe lapped that, and I immediately thought back to the Delhi of old, who definitely had that edge, and did Potch maybe coach that out of him? So three sli- slightly different questions. The first two getting it roughly the same thing, and the last questioning whether we've we've changed Delhi for the worse. But let's start off by doing a sort of historical look back at where things started to go wrong with Delhi, and l- let me let me put my point to you and see if you remember it in the same way. So I remember Delhi starting to drop off in terms of his performance. When Pochettino attempt to move him attempted to move him into the central midfield, mainly as a three, and it was when we were trying to sort of work out what we're doing with this Winks and Sissoko midfield partnership, which we all hated. We, we've said so many times how much we hated that midfield. We still hate it whenever it's turned out today. I think Pochettino tried to get Deli in there to. To, to play, again, a, a hybrid 8-10 role and to try and add something to the midfield defensively, but then also be able to carry the ball forward um, effectively. And Delhi was always at his absolute best when he had complete freedom to move in the final third into spaces where he could create and score goals, mainly score goals if we're completely honest. He was always been more of somebody on the end of things rather than, um, rather than creating. Um, and then it seemed to me that his his confidence took a nosedive as the rest of the team dropped off. So, whether he was the symptom or the cause, it's difficult to sort of argue because it all seemed to happen at roughly the same time. And then when Mourinho came in, he was obviously like there was the whole Delhi's brother situation, and Delhi was made the absolute focal point for the early parts of Mourinho's tenure. And he looked really good again then. He looked integral and he was getting goals, he was getting assists. Not at previous rates, but still at good rates. And you could argue that we wouldn't have got the Europa League that season were it not for Dele's, uh interventions. And then whatever happened, happened. He decided that he's not trying enough in training, we think, uh, and he excluded him. Have I got that timeline roughly correct, do you think, Nathan?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's more or less where I am. I wrote an article for Statsbomb in the summer of uh twenty nineteen, um, because we had we brought in Ndombele Blaine Lo Celso, um, and I saw a whole load of Spurs fans on Twitter, on uh Reddit, on forums coming up with their, their eleven uh that, that they were excited to see and Delhi was absent from them and I th- I thought it was a lack of excitement for Delhi um and so i tried to contextualize his performance from the sort of season and a half before which which i accept wasn't great but he yeah he was asked to do a lot more ball carrying and a lot more deeper play a lot more midfield work which um which he could have done better with, to be honest. I think um, <laughs> you can tell he's been watching a lot of eighteen ninety nine x recently. If you look at Van der Beek, <laughs> who is uh, yes. a, a player in a very similar profile um, at the same time, is that he was playing this sort of number ten who's bursting on behind and running, and then later is asked to play more of a midfield role and adapts to that well and establishes himself as a midfielder, okay, in the Eredivisie, but but nonetheless. Whereas Dele, um he he kind of he you know i don't think the players are positions but delhi looked like a number 10 trying to do a central midfielder's job um and and didn't didn't really grab that by the horns and and make himself a, a controlling dominating um central midfielder who can then also get in the box um so you know that that's a short you know that's a limitation to his play style that's that's a place where he that's um where he where i think he was good but he wasn't at the same level as brilliance in his preferred role um and then, yeah, he's sort of had a, a brief spell at the beginning under Mourinho, and, and then things have gone downhill since then. I don't, I don't want to imply that Deli has been perfect either on the pitch or off the pitch. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make out that he's handled the situation as well as he possibly could. Um but and you've you've clearly timed these old questions uh very very meanly windy because we can now say well look at this game and look how much fun he is and <laughs> look how sharp he looks even though he's hardly played any football all season and isn't he a joy to have in the team and look at what his runs do even when he doesn't receive the ball and look at his ability to see the link play even when he's not receiving the ball behind the lines and all that kind of stuff and um yes Delhi shares some blame for his narrative over the last two and a half years. Definitely, definitely. Um, But his upside is still very present and that's easy to see against the worst team in the league.
1: Yeah, and Mark and Jonah in particular, uh, that wasn't my intention. And uh, I I think Mark and Jonah also have a lot of people who would still be sympathetic to, to the questions even now. Um that 's sure. certainly what i 've seen on social media over the last twenty four hours um a lot of people are just done with delhi i mean but you've you've sort of hinted to sort of feeling similarly and feeling as though he 's still got a lot to prove um so talk us through where you are with him
3: at the moment I mean, delhi Ali arrived at our club as an unknown we didn't know much about him he was a bit of a punt from from Milton Keynes and he turned out to be this this wonderful young player who was at, he. he was a bit of a maverick he could appear at moments and have decisive impact at games whether it was a goal or an assist and his movement caused opposition teams all kinds of problems but that movement was based upon a, a platform behind him of like Wanyama Dembele Dyer whoever it was Ericsson and that kind of trust that he could, he could kind of do what he wanted and just appear and the ball would land at him. He could make that run and Ericsson would curl it in and at Wembley, Delhi would turn it in and it was a, a brilliant goal. And we saw that throughout though, those early seasons, whether it was Alderweireld's ball once Dyer hit a good pass for the first time ever and, and Delhi finished it at Chelsea. And it was this game that was, it was his movement, which was a lot of faith in the team behind him giving him the ball. I think what happened with Delhi is the moment when we asked him to go and get the ball and create from deeper, and it's just not his game. I hoped that he would turn into a kind of a box-to-box kind of Pogba player or a Gerrard kind of player who would be able to do that, but he, he hasn't. So I think injuries has impacted him as well. I think his... I think his one-footedness is a problem, although not a um, a terminal problem. But I think we haven't seen him adapt enough and be able to change how he plays to suit the circumstances and suit suit the managers around him. I still have faith in him. I don't know... I don't know if he will ever be that kind of controlling presence. But then I also worry that he's not, he's now 25, and this is going to sound proper proper football man, maybe even a touch of Graham Sooners, but I don't think he's, I think now is the time for him to actually establish and figure out who he is, even though he's only 25 years old, he's still a boy. I would like to see him figure out what his role is on the pitch. And then if he's good enough, then the team, then the team will kind of build themselves around him. And that's my fear right now is that, Delhi's a little bit lost and we're a little bit lost and we need somebody, a a manager that understands him to bring the best out of him. I thought Jose could do that because like you said, he was incredible those first early months under Jose. Eight goals he scored that season. But I do think a, a lack of maybe belief in himself, a lack of identity in how he plays and his body being injured and suffering more injuries than he ever had before because before he was just clocking up all the minutes and running around and it didn't affect him. So I, I do think he's had a little bit of a crisis of identity and I hope in the next five games or so he he kind of figures it out.
1: Yeah, and um, it'll be nice for him to be given uh, those five games mm. to, to to really sort of get back to basics, get back to what he does best
3: Oh, there was that. one thing that you said, Wendy, which I'd I'd like to ask you now. So you want to see Ndombélé, Deli, Celso and Huybregt play. So who who doesn't play?
1: Um. So I I mean I'm happy for. I mean yesterday I think we could have played Le Celso and Ndombélé midfield to be honest. Uh, but, but generally I would I would play Huybier. I would I would play always Huybier in midfield. Um. Now we're playing one game a week. Um. I think you could get away with with playing with. Celso in a wide position
3: instead of Bale. So who who misses out? Or
1: Son. Um, I I think the key is that I just don't think we need to like pick the same players each time. I think there can be some a bit more rotation and bringing players off the bench a bit more. Uh, So like I would love to see and and Huibier with with Deli in the team. Uh, Maybe Celso, right or Bale whoever and then whoever on the left. That. That really appeals to me if we could see that for a couple of games, i would be very happy, but yeah, I mean, I'm not like wedded to the idea of son starting every game, for example, like, he's been quite poor in patches recently, probably because he's played every game uh, so I'm happy for a bit more rotation of, of the
0: the front band of four. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes.
1: Um, so, following on from our recruitment discussion in the last podcast, Paul Nelson asks, which of the players signed by Spurs from the summer 2017 onwards would get into the 2016-17 side? I think what Paul's saying here basically is, look, the recruitment can't be that good because it hasn't improved the team. Um, Nathan, what, what do you think? I mean, and Ndombele is probably a good place to start. Would he get into the 2016-17 side?
2: Uh, probably, because... Belly's injured half the time, so he gets in that <laughs> way. I think we we've signed good players in that time, we just haven't signed enough good players. We signed a few not great players, um, and just generally I think the volume has been too low, you know? I think Ndombele and La there's a lot of um still um hesitation over LaCelso, which I think is a shame. I think he's a really good player. Um but I think Lo Celso, yeah, Andombalay and La are brilliant players. Who else have we signed? should I bring up a list?
3: That does include one year where we didn't sign anybody. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the point, though.
2: I think that that's that's the issue, right? If we'd have, if we'd have signed one or two players of on Dombley or in maybe go as low as La Lo Celso's level in 2018, it'd be a very different story. Right? If we'd have bought a very good right back, if we'd have bought a very good centre-back. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I think we did. We bought Foyt and and he's a really special young player and we didn't develop him under two managers. Um, We, mm. we failed to to make use of his talents. Um, Davison Sanchez has regressed, but when we bought him, he was a... Values at forty million, and I think if we'd have, you know, if you take the the concept of forty million pounds worth of centre bank, then that looks a little better than Davinson Sanchez does at the moment. Bless yeah. him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. uh Yes, there are issues in our recruitment. I'm I'm the first to to say that. Um, but I think there are also quite a few teams who are worse a recruitment than us um, it's yeah it's it's just it's just um, it's just taking a summer off and that hurting us for several years in a row because you can't really do that
1: that's fair uh, I think the other obvious player that would have got into that side is, is Regalon yes at the uh, expense of Ben Davis not not necessarily of you know, Danny, when Danny Rose was at his best, and sure, that's a that's a difficult uh, player to dis, to displace. But regon's clearly better than Ben Davis. I think he's better I mean, than just Rose at his best too. I think that will be. I, I, I think he might well be. Yeah, I think that could become apparent over the next couple of yes. years for sure. Um, I've just realised that we we didn't mention the Lo Celso incident. Oh yeah. <laughs> um the attempted murder. And yeah, I mean I do think it's worth talking about. Um I was absolutely when I first saw the replay, I was like, Okay, cool, red card, brilliant. <laughs> this is this this is gonna be a goal fest now. And then when nothing happened, I was just thinking like, how could how could you watch that? As a as a referee who's refereed many football matches who has a good understanding of of what players are about and, and what players are trying to do, and seeing the, the sort of look down at the Celso that, that Fleck has How could you possibly think that that was an accident? I mean, it was so obviously deliberate. I don't think he was deliberately trying to step on his head. I think he was deliberately trying to step on him. Um, And, yeah, I mean, two referees missed it, essentially. Two referees who have decided that this is a nothing incident. To not even send the on-pitch referee to go and have a look at the monitor and judge for himself just seemed balmy to me. And I hope it gets reviewed. I hope that Fleck gets retrospectively banned. I hope the video assistant referee for this match sits out a couple of games, because apparently he was the same one who, who did flag up the Balbuena challenge, which was a literally a follow-through from a oh, clearance. Yes. You know, so... so Madness, absolute madness. Buddy, you, you know you're you're um
2: a fan of violence. You're less
1: sensitive to the yeah. You're, <laughs> well, you are a fan of violence. But you're less sensitive to these things than me. But how bad did that look to
3: you? No, it was a ridiculous decision not to send him off. If you think um, Son got sent off for what he did for Rudiger, right? And uh, as you mentioned the Balbuena incident, they, I don't understand why. It hasn't been flagged. Why you don't review it? Um, I think Mason was quite right to get upset about it. it, it I don't. I don't understand what's the point of, of VAR. Sometimes it's, I, I'm, I'm all for the idea of VAR, but this is just this is one of those 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 reasons that you look at and you can think, yeah, there's um, there's something going really wrong with the game.
1: Completely. And and look, VAR the system can make some tackles look worse because you're watching mm-hmm. them in super super slow mo. And I, I have some sympathy with that um, with that takeaway. But this is someone who's deliberately trying to injure an opponent, to deliberately trying to hurt, inflict pain on an opponent. This isn't like a mistimed tackle. This isn't someone accidentally going a little bit high up on the shin or the ankle because their follow through is happening that way. This is someone trying to tread on someone and he ends up treading on his head, on his temple. You know, it's a really sensitive part of the skull. He could have done some severe damage. I was absolutely staggered that that wasn't deemed a red card. Honestly, staggered. Anyway, there you go. There's my outrage at the incident. (laughs) And uh, Do you know what else as well? (laughs) Go
3: on, Wendy, go on. You've got the floor now.
1: Andy Hinchcliffe laughing (sighs) about the massive ice pack on the Celso's head. You know, like... It's not fun Like that's not funny That's as a result Of a really terrible challenge Which could have done Some significant damage to him Could have Um, blinded him Our manager Had his career ended By a head injury It's true Could have blinded him He he could have blinded him You're absolutely (laughs) right You know Just We should make
3: footballers Wear goggles Or (laughs) helmets
1: Uh, I don't often get irate About this kind of stuff But honestly There's such a lack Of protection there That just winds me up and it's so simple to fix I as well. I think that's
2: the thing. I think that's the thing. Because whenever there is like a discussion around a decision that is sort of ascribing um, intent, um, yes, I think if you watch that footage, um, it's pretty easy to be persuaded that it was a deliberate move. But as long as you have the possibility to be like not absolutely certain, the referees are always going to have the decision or the the opportunity to... To, to, to give Flick the benefit of the doubt, you know? Um, and then they can justify that backwards and, and say, well, he's, you know, he's a nice guy and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and this is why I, I'm pretty sure the rules as written don't actually worry too much about deliverance. And then it, it's really what that should be judged on as whether his action was dangerous. This is when you get into discussion about like is is Babuena clearing the ball dangerous if there's a player near him when he does it and that kind of thing. Um but yeah, if if we if we return to like why do referees exist and what are the rules for and all that kind of stuff, um the point is to protect the players and and it's not unfair to say that that Flick has put himself in a situation at the very least um, where he's landing on another player's studs down and, and, and you work from there and you just say, okay, maybe that wasn't quite as deliberate as it looks, but, um, look at his face. Look what you've done to his face. So yeah, I, <laughs> I appreciate your frustration.
1: And this also doesn't help himself because he kind of reacted in the same way that he reacted to literally every well, challenge yeah. on him. Those bloody lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very <laughs> Latin, very <laughs> Latin um, So this, this this question sort of harks back to something I was suggesting at the start of the podcast Alec Deprinski says Is there anyone you would like to see get a run of games before deciding if we need to be sold in the summer? Conversely, who are you already on board with selling? So we've spoken quite a bit before about who we are well, selling I think we kind of want to sell half the squad um, But, but Bardi, this made me think of Harry Winks Are you keen to see a bit of Winks in a more possession-based team Just to sort of get a... Gauge of where he is now as a player before deciding whether to move him on or not.
3: Um, I don't think we're going to learn anything new about Harry Winks now. I think he is what he is. I don't think he's going to improve. I don't think he's going to get any worse. I think he's got a very solid football career in front of him. I just don't think that career will be at Tottenham. What sort of level of club do you think he'll end up at? I think he'll do all right at. Say, um, I think he'll do all right at Palace. He'll
2: be okay there. I think he's a little better what- than Palace. I think he's more of a, he's a, he's a mid-tabler.
3: The Palace are mid table no? That's oh, fair.
2: they're, they're in a, they're in a, a what's the, uh, false position? They're, they're, a, yeah. they're, they're a fake mid-table. They, they are playing some of the most horrific football to watch. Hmm. Like Spurs fans, we've had it, we've had it nice <laughs> compared to what Palace. And yeah, they've got results, but God, that's, that's not, that's not suited to, uh, that's not suited to Harry Wings at all.
3: I mean, I do give a little every now and then. I I don't mind Palace, not because I don't yeah I don't mind them. They they got some proper trash in their team. They do. They've got, um, but they Hodgson keeps them up, and I, I have a soft spot <laughs> for Hodgson. So um, I, I I always admire what he what he's able to do, and the fact that he, the moment he leaves Palace, they're done. They they're, they're going to go. They're going to get relegated. So I I think that's kind of why they're not rebelling against him.
1: I wonder whether he might be a target for someone like Wolves. That seems to me to be a fairly good fit. Um, Pairing with Ruben Nevers in midfield, that's a pretty yes decent possession based field. Southampton would be reasonable, or uh, or even Brighton. Yeah, give them
3: um, give Brighton winks. We take Potter,
1: (laughs) yeah, and Dempsey and Ben White Mm -hmm. and (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. Um, any other players, Nathan, that you'd like to see get a run before deciding what to do with them in the summer or, or do you already know enough? I think we kind of know enough, to be honest. I don't see us changing our mind about
2: um, Bergvine or Lamella or Lucas, you know. Um, that's that's really a matter to come back to probably in January. You know, based on, on how the, the next manager feels or uses the players he has his disposal. Like, there's, there's no one who we brought in that, like, hasn't seen that much football. I guess Bergvine is the only one, but like, I admit, personally, I feel I have a good read of Bergvine. Maybe, maybe Spurs don't, maybe Spurs fans don't, but like, he's a talented young player who needs some game time. Um, he's a much, more decisive dynamic final third player than he has appeared and you want to see that appear for him in the near future but his 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 build-up play and his holding up play and his defensive work has been perfectly good and strong and fine for us so it's not like we're going oh who's this dud that we bought? i thought he was meant to be good he's just you know it's just not gone well for him um i don't know i i <laughs> again as i mentioned earlier like the jury's still out for a lot of people on Lo Celso, but we're not going to be making a decision on him over the next couple of games um so i don't know who would be i guess doherty I guess Doherty is the player who, like, you... But you're not going to... Why are you going to bench Aurier just to get a, a feel for Doherty at this stage, you know? Uh Maybe he gets one or two of the next games. But it's, it's got to come down to the next manager. I think my personal strategy at right-back, I think, would probably be to sell Serge Aurier and bring in a right-back who is going to keep Doherty on the bench. Um, Pretty solidly, while you then work out what you're going to do with him if he plays a couple of cup games next season, and if he looks rough again, then you have to move on to Doherty. Um, yeah, I, I, who <laughs> I can't
1: think of <laughs> Gazaniga. <laughs> <Like, laughs> He's alone. You can't. You can't play alone. I mean, the the only other one that is probably worth discussing is is Eric Dyer because Shh. there have been times this season where we've been absolutely adamant that Dyer should and will be sold come the summer and. And now we're watching him in a team that doesn't defend so much and has more of the ball. And he moves it pretty well. He's you know he, he, he did misplace a pass quite badly yesterday against Sheffield United. But on the whole, he does move the ball pretty well. He's got reasonable technical ability. He gets it into his feet and back out and, and moves it on pretty nicely. Um, and suddenly seems a lot better suited to being a centre-back. Just because the system's more favourable for him. Personally speaking, I would try and sell Dyer still. I think we can do better than Eric Dyer. I think we have think got better than Eric Dyer, to be honest. I think already Roden and Tanganga are my preferences over Eric Dyer. But he obviously brings something which um, successive managers have liked. I think it's probably in terms of his his mental attributes and his organisational attributes. Um, but yeah, Bardi dies. He's still in the dire-out camp.
3: I don't think he serves any purpose for us. He's not even counted as homegrown. Get rid of him. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> savage. Let's do one more um, before we wrap up.
1: Um, set pieces. So this is something that's that's been bubbling away for a little while. Harry Kane and his blooming free kicks. So Adam Moore emailed us and he sent us a video... Uh, which is really interesting, of Harry Kane talking to Thierry Henry on Sky Sports. I think it might have been Soccer AM. I I can't quite remember. I watched it a while back now. Um, And Adam's point was, when I first saw this, you could see the question sink into Harry's brain about taking more free kicks I'm sure there's more to it but I always think of that conversation when he blasts one off the wall and Henri was basically like saying you can add 10 more goals by becoming a master of free kicks which is completely like outrageously unreasonable for a start but but like it does ring true that this was watching that video maybe go shit yeah maybe that is that's a starting point Nathan why does Harry Kane still take free kicks
2: uh <clears throat> who else is gonna take him?
1: Gareth Bale.
2: He's uh only good at re kicks from a medium distance and when the uh, ball is over towards the right hand side of the pitch.
1: Giovanni Lasselso?
2: Yeah, probably yeah be better, wouldn't it?
1: Regalon? Uh well maybe, I have no idea. Aurier? I mean <laughs> Eric Dyer? <laughs>
2: yes actually it's a good show i forget about that yeah um uh, i just think
1: kane's free kicks are so poor
2: they're <laughs> well they're poor because we know how well harry kane can strike a ball when it's you know got a bit of movement on it um they're poor because when you see harry kane approach a ball in open play um you're confident and then you feel the exact opposite way when he's taking a free hmm. kick. Free kicks aren't, direct free kicks aren't a very fruitful, uh, generally a very fruitful um, path to, to victory, sure. you know.
1: Unless you're James Ward-Prowse. Uh,
2: unless, yeah. And, and everybody, all professional players should be like putting in three hours a week on looking at James Ward-Prowse videos and working on that specific technique. But there you go. That's a whole different thing. But until the Ward-Prowse revolution is upon us um direct free kicks in the rest of world football aren't a a very fruitful um way of scoring so it's not a huge deal and it does very much feel like with the sort of the cristiano ronaldo thing that it's like this is part of his (laughs) this is part of his his contract right he gets 200k a week and he gets to take the free kicks and he gets to smack them all into the wall
1: do you think that might be it no
2: i don't think it's actually written in what i'm saying is that his. His personality and his position within the team and his right, okay. his place as a talisman demands um that if he wants to take the free kicks, he gets to take the free kicks Now maybe a new manager comes in and he says. No, I'm going to take control of the situation and I will assign the free kick taker. But I think as long as it is down to the players on the pitch, Harry Kane gets to, because the captain is Hugo Larisse, right? So there's no one to tell him off. There's no one to say no. You know, Larissa's is down the other end <laughs> having a nice sit down. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't care that much because I don't care that much about direct free kicks. Um, and I don't think that like, our free kick taker used to be ericsson when he when he was first at spurs he was he had an incredible run of free kicks and then they suddenly dried up because that is the reality of a free kick you take a great free kick taker and he will go three years without scoring from one because that's just how they work so i'm not like we need la an incredible we've got to be using la we've got to be using eric dyer because he's scored like two and that makes him the best free kick taker of the club you know um one of those for england it's it's whatever um it doesn't upset me that much i don't mind it being being, you know, part of the the Harry Kane tribute <laughs> to keep Harry, Kane, you know, if it keeps
1: him at the club, he can take all the free kicks he wants. You can take goal kicks. What, what we need I, to do is hire James Ward-Prowse as a set piece coach. Yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, free kicks is such. It's such a low, um, percentage scoring rate. Like Messi's at like 12% yeah. success rate. The, the guy with the most free, direct free kicks in Premier League history is Beckham and he scored one every 1200 minutes. I don't, <laughs> this is not something I remember off the top of my head, but something that I've, I've looked up. So he scored, Beckham scored one every 13 games. So that's not prolific. And he's, he's the greatest ever. Ward Prowse has got eight and Ward Prowse scores one every 1835 minutes. So it's not like Harry Kane is deliberately denying people goals because he's taking our free kicks. I think in terms of hitting the ball technique, he's one of the best. So why not give him the strike when it's 30 yards out? It's when it's a little bit closer to home that I think you need a little bit more guile to get it up and down. Yeah. Someone like Zola, Henri, those kind of guys, Sebastian Larson is up on that list as well. Um I don't have a problem with like Ericsson, we talked about Ericsson, he scored eight and he scored one every two thousand two hundred and eighty nine minutes. I don't have a problem with Harry Kane whacking a free kick from distance. I do have a problem when it's a little bit close in and, you know, he's not really got the guile to do that. So if he wants to keep, if keep, if if him taking free kicks means he stays at the club another season, then let him take all the free kicks. I do have a problem with him taking corners, though. So on to corners, because this is, this is
1: related. And it, I mm. thought this was a really interesting, really interesting question from um, Josh from Milton Keynes, who says, I remember hearing that the new stadium has one of the shortest run-ups to the corner flag. It looks roughly two steps with a sharp ramp downwards. Do you think this negatively affects our ability to put decent balls in from corner positions? Watching both Son and Giovanni De Celso against Sheffield United, it looks uncomfortable for them and they didn't seem to put in many good crosses in.
3: I'm going to call bullshit on that one because we scored a good goal against Arsenal from a corner. We scored a goal against Leeds from a corner. We have scored goals from corners. We've conceded goals from corners at our stadium as well. So I don't think, I don't think the run up has any problem with it. I remember Man United always had a, a very narrow, um, narrow place and. You know, I don't think it's affected them.
2: I am pretty sympathetic to this argument, actually. I think there isn't a, it's a good enough run up. I think that, the, that it's too steep and too early before the corner. Um, I also think it's kind of a little bit dangerous that if you start off the pitch, uh, not as bad as it is at Old Trafford because my goodness, they have a death trap <laughs> surrounding <laughs> the pitch, with the yeah. spaces, but um, it's very easy yeah, to, to slide off into a ditch. And yeah, I do think it, it affects the run up that you don't have much room that you're coming in at, um, and uh an uphill angle um I don't know I'd be interested what players might have to say about about the pitch
1: well I was thinking it would be quite easy to to look back at some footage of home corners against away corners and see if there's any change Mm. in in run-up styles Mm. maybe worth a look I I really liked I really like the question it's not something I thought about before but um it makes sense
3: Windy telling Nathan what to do live
1: on air. <laughs> well, I mean, it, technically I have the same access that Nathan does, so I should just set this as an assignment for myself, shouldn't I? You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.